It's that time again. Gas tank is low, the pantry is empty, the grass is long. You've got things to do, places to go. So little time. Drive and text just as long as the cop doesn't see you. You're important, duh. Grab a chair, browse your Bible app, sip, sip, crunch, crunch, and off to the Sunday brunch. It is called church service, isn't it? Now, do you have me? Okay. All right. So I have a, one of my biggest fans up here in the front seat over here on this side. It's nice to have our grandson here for 10 days. And uh, it's also uh, proof to why God gives young people children. Uh, honestly, man, he hits the ground running at 6.30 and it's, whew, right? Especially for my wife. She's been uh, doing all sorts of extra extra duty this week and uh just uh it's been good it's been good you doing good asher yeah good good so uh, when we think about church service uh we sort of think of it that way sometimes i'm afraid so i come to church and and what's supposed to happen when i come to church is i'm supposed to be served um, uh, it's supposed to be what I want it to be, how I want it to be, the, the songs I want, the message I want, and many times it doesn't turn out that way, and we are sorely disappointed, or we can be disappointed, if we don't have the right attitude when we walk into the building, or, or any building, or any place where uh, the Word of God is preached and, and Christians gather. Uh, so it's very challenging to us, and if you're, if you're here for the first time uh, with us this morning, we've been going chapter by chapter through the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church in, in Corinth, which was predominantly made up of, of Greeks and Romans, uh, with a spattering of Jews within their culture. And uh, we've been challenged by many, many things. And at the end of last week's message, we saw Paul as he's giving constructive criticism to the Corinthians over and over and over again in this letter, he reminded them that God is faithful, and we have to remember that. God is faithful, and it, and it was no, you know, it was no uh, coincidence that, that last week was one of the first Sundays after the canal breach, and, and many of you, I know you're going through different struggles in your life, and it's just a great reminder for us that God is faithful. It doesn't matter how we feel, what we think, what we're experiencing in our life. That is truth that we could take to the bank. Never changes. God is always there. And we also looked at last week how Christ must be our rock. Uh, the foundation on which our lives are built. And our faith. And our behavior and our practices. And the things that we wrestle with. And, uh, you know, Paul really ended that thought in uh, chapter 11, verse 1, by saying, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Uh, that's actually verse 1 in chapter 11. I'm not sure why those who put the verses and the chapters in there uh, left that first verse of chapter 11 with, with 
uh, chapter 11, but it seems to fit more with chapter 10. So this morning we're going to start with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to jump right in. There's so much to talk about, and there's, and really, honestly, there's so much I'm not going to talk about this morning. Um, if you have not turned to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, please do. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's one underneath a seat. Uh, should be one at least in the row or two or three. Uh, we've tried to spread them out throughout the sanctuary. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 2, Paul says this, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. And, and I, uh, this is encouraging to me because Paul knows that he can't just you know, confront and confront and confront and correct and correct and correct without encouraging them in some way, shape, or form. And that's exactly what he's doing right here in verse 2 of chapter 11. I praise you. Corinthians, you need to recognize that I do see good things in your life. There are things that I see that you are doing that are good. They're correct. Thank you. You're holding to my teachings just as I passed, as I passed them on to you. And and if you've been with this the whole time, you might be thinking, well, but it seems like Paul's been saying that they haven't been holding to his teachings. Well, it really boils down to the fact that we're all in process, we're all on a journey, we all fall in different places of maturity levels on that journey. And, and Paul, in talking to the church, it's, we often take it like a, a shotgun approach. You know, we, we, we as pastors shoot a shotgun up here and we trust that the Holy Spirit's going to take one of those BBs and hit everybody's heart and everybody's mind that's in the room with something. And it, it may not matter whether you've been a, a, a Christian for, for 50 or 60 years or for one week. Uh, we can always trust that God is going to teach us something, and we always need to remember that, that we are special to Him, that He loves us dearly. And we're going to see at the end of this chapter what, what God did to, to not only show us how special we were, but to save us from the destructive path that we had put ourselves on. Anyway, Paul says in, in verse 2, Praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. First point this morning is, Paul gives the Corinthians an attaboy. And, and I know that this is spelled correctly because those guys looked it up and actually I only had one T. I guess there's two T's in attaboy. I've never actually really spelled it, but I've, I've certainly heard the word lots growing up. My grandpa gave us lots of attaboys. And that's what he would refer to them as an attaboy. We, we need attaboys in our life. We need encouragement. Uh, and Paul is giving them that right here. Sometimes, you know, we can leave a church on a Sunday morning and go, man, I'm just so screwed up. There's no hope for me. And, and that's, that's a lie from, from hell. Uh, there is always hope for us. And we, we, should, we should recognize the difference between conviction and discouragement. Yes, sometimes people say, wow, you really stepped on my toes this morning. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. That wasn't me. That's not me stepping on your toes. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If you leave here feeling guilty for something or feeling like there's something in your life that you need to correct, trust me. I don't know what that is. Uh, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And, and we need to look at that and we need to recognize it for what it is, not be discouraged by it, but, but have hope in the fact that Jesus Christ gave his life for us so that we could have hope in the midst of bad decisions and doing wrong things in our life. Because we all do and we all have. Um, and Paul is encouraging them. You know, as I think about this church, ah, I would be the first to say, ah, we are not perfect. 
Um, you, you, somebody may walk in the doors here and they, they could maybe see, uh, they could maybe walk out of here and go, wow, this is, we felt so much at home and, and we hope that you do. But then, but then later they may, they may come to find out that there are actually some, we, we do things that aren't perfect. I mean, I, I trust me, and, and all of you have known me long enough to know that if I were ever made a claim to perfection, whoa, you'd be the first in line. Uh, no, Pastor Dave, I know that's not right. Because remember when you said that and you didn't do that or you didn't do that and you said that or whatever? I mean, that's just, honestly, that's just life. We, we let people down. And, uh, but, but we also need to realize that, that as a family, as a church, God is using us. God is using us in, in this county, in this state, in the world. Um, there are good things. There are great things that, that come out of this church body, North Hills Baptist Church. There are people in our county who can get in and out of their homes without having to worry about falling down because of the service of people in this church. There, there are people who have been supported in, in rough times in their life if they've gone through a divorce or a death in the family or, or some other scary thing because of the people in this church who have said, I'm going to serve others. I'm going I'm to live as an example to Jesus Christ their life is better. God is using us. There are people here today who, who know Jesus Christ as their Savior because somebody in this church lived their life before them as an example and they saw that and they, they trusted Christ. There are people in this room and, and in our county and honestly in other churches, in other counties all over the world who who publicly professed their salvation in Christ in baptism here in this church, whether it was on this stage or whether it was at the river on the North Platte or whether it was in the park here in Lingle. Because of us living together, uh, struggling through life together, working hard together, uh, but not because we want people to know who North Hills is and that we're all we're this great church and you should go check them out, although I, I kind of think that. I kind of believe that myself. I believe this is a great church. But, but I would be wrong if I said there's nothing wrong with this church. And, and as we've struggled through 1 Corinthians, we have seen that even when we think things are going great, if we're not careful, we can maybe take a, a rabbit trail that we shouldn't and end up in a rabbit hole. And I, I don't want that to happen. Now, um, having said that, uh, after some encouraging words, Paul then now once again returns to um, criticism. Uh, and I believe he's tackling three main concerns in this chapter today. Which, if you read this chapter, I talked to somebody this morning, and this person said, I can't wait to see what you're going to say about this chapter today. If you've been reading this chapter, uh, I pray that your struggle has been as big as mine has been. Because it's been, what is this? What is Paul saying? What, what is he trying to communicate? Well, I, I think he tackles three main concerns in this chapter. I think he wanted to make sure that the church worshipped in a biblical way. That the church wasn't going off the rails when it came to, to worshipping and, and praising God. I think that he wanted to make sure people respected each other in the church. I mean, let's be honest, in our, it's never been easier, I don't think, in, in life than it is right now to be, um, to be critical of other people. 
to not love other people. To, to just throw out a comment that, that we think is funny that, that it has a devastating impact. It's just so easy in our world today. Um, he wanted to make sure that people respected each other in the church. And finally, he wanted to make sure that the church had a good reputation with other people in the community, especially those who didn't know Jesus Christ. Because what we do and what we say matters. It really does. And, and in a world today where words seem to hit deaf ears, no matter what those words are and who you say them to, whether truth or well-meaning or not, um, we need to recognize that people are watching. You know, we live in, honestly, a fishbowl. And uh, we have to recognize that. Okay, so in verse 3, Paul, uh, look at that. Paul starts out with this. He says, now I want you to realize. Essentially, Paul is saying, um, I want to teach you something else here. Okay, here's something that maybe you've forgotten. Maybe you haven't remembered this. Uh, maybe you've missed it in all the goings-on of your culture and your city, the Greek and Roman history, uh, in all of your concern for your rights, in, in your prideful and arrogant attitudes that you've had that he's been confronting all along in the first ten chapters. Uh, I, Paul here, in large part, is dealing with our attitudes in relation to these two topics that he's covering. Attitude affects so much, doesn't it? When you run into somebody in the course of a day and they've got a bad attitude, you, you walk away from that with a bad attitude oftentimes, right? I mean, um, and the attitude that we have, uh, even in, in confronting a problem or confronting a person or trying to find a solution on something, our attitude, whether positive or negative, whether critical or, or supportive, really does affect the outcome of that. And uh, we have to take that seriously. Paul says in verse 3, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the, head of every, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. In other words, point number two this morning, there is a created order. And it started from the very beginning of creation, and, and Paul refers to this, and we're going to see this as we go through this passage. Now, many in our world, many in our country, uh, actually since the 60s have thought this idea that Paul is promoting right here is old-fashioned, and Lord have mercy, we need to grow out of it. We need to correct this. Okay, that's, that's kind of where our history has, has come from. Secular teachings at our universities and in many circles in our nations refuse to consider the idea that there is actually a created order in things and that the order is as Paul speaks of it here. And there are some countries that are on the whole other extreme of this order and they take what Paul says here and other places and they twist it to be something that it's not and we must be very careful here. Truth is, there is a created order of authority. Paul lays, it, lays out the structure of spiritual authority here, or headship, according to God. God is the head of man, or the husband, who is the head of the woman, or the wife. Okay, now head means two things. 
Hang with me. Head means two things, okay? Um, it literally means the source, like that of a river or a trail head, right? It's the beginning of the trail. It's the source of the trail. God is the source of all things. God created man. God is the head of man. He created him out of dust. And then from man, God created woman. He, he did what? He took a rib out of the side of man and he formed a woman around that rib. And so in a sense... Man was the source, so to speak, of woman. Okay, that's one meaning of the word headship. The, the other means authority. And that's the one we mostly focus on. And that's the one we mostly oppose or support, depending on what gender we are. Uh, head means authority. Kind of like your head or your mind is basically in control of your body. Okay, and I think much of the opposition to this idea comes from abuses that can arise from it. Shameful abuses, and there have been many. Uh, and we must be very, very careful to take into account what the whole of what Paul teaches. Because we can also point to an area where Paul says, um, essentially, you know, we, we are all equal, right? No one is above anyone else. No culture, no, no people group. So first of all, as we talk through this, men can't and shouldn't be to their wives what Christ is for mankind. Perfect and a Savior. So men, as we think about this and as we think about what Paul is saying, we need to recognize that we're going we're gonna to make mistakes. We're going to mess up. We're going to need to ask for forgiveness. There are going to be times when we say something and we think we have the authority to say it or we think we have the biblical grounds to treat a certain person in a certain way and we need to recognize that we're not perfect in this. We are not the Savior of the world, though some of us, sometimes I think we, we can think that. Second, we must understand the complete biblical view of our roles, okay, and not take bits and pieces out of context, which is what I think happens most of the time. Um, we, we talked about a passage here a couple weeks ago where uh, Paul talks about uh, husbands and wives uh, satisfying each other sexually and that it shouldn't be withheld. And, and I could see um, um, a husband or a wife taking that passage and saying, see, you have to. It says right here. That's taking one thing that God has given us that's good and has turned it into a club to beat over somebody's head with. And, and, and it's, again, it's attitude here that Paul is, is confronting. So, again, we have got to be careful with this. Let's continue. Look at verse 4 and, and following. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, and every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. 
If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut or shaved off, she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. For man did not come from woman, but woman for man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. Let's stop there. If we only read that. Wow, man, we can treat women however we want to. Right? They just have to do what we say. And I honestly think there are men that believe that. Wrongfully so. Uh, If there is a church where that's true in, um, I, I think it's, I think it's wrong. Uh, It's evident here and elsewhere in Scripture. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, we're not going to go there. I wish we could, but we don't have time. It is one of those passages that wives are told, are commanded to honor and respect their husbands. Paul says that. This, of course, does not mean that women can't lead or teach or be influential in the church. Uh, I mean, my wife has amazing gifts. There are things that she can do that I can't. There are things that she notices that I am oblivious to. Praise God for my wife. I'm nicer to some of you because of my wife. (laughs) Um, She has insights that I just can't get. She is very much like the description of the woman in Proverbs 31. She has worked so hard this week. I mean, she's changing jobs. Um, she's out there with a shovel and, and screeding concrete on our small house project that we've been working on. Um, she, it's not small. Um, she is chasing a, a four-and-a-half-year-old grandson around um, who, you know, you want Papa to brush your teeth? No, Nana. Of course, I'm cheering inside, right? I didn't really want to do that, but I get the opportunity. I get the gift of reading um, Captain America every night. <laughs> it's your favorite book, isn't it? It's a great, it's a, it's a great book, actually. Um, so far, we're seven nights and counting, right? Which book? Well, that's a no-brainer. Uh, but she, Sarah's worked really hard. She started a new job this week. Um, so, I am certainly not, I mean, there are also other women in the Bible we see, they're, they're ministering, they're teaching, they're prophesying. We can look it up. Paul is not saying that women just need to be silent and, and shut up and, you know, I don't know, the old saying used to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, right? Now, if that's the attitude that people have, Praise Jesus for those who raise up and say, that's not how we should be treated, because it's not. It's not right. Paul is, Paul is, but Paul is not saying that here. Paul is, uh, is not saying that women don't have worth. In fact, honestly, Christianity is, is the most pro-women religion of all of the major religions that are out there. Jesus was contrary to many of the ideas and thoughts that the, the current culture, when he was walking the earth, had 
towards women. So men listening today, I don't care if you are a husband, I don't care if you are single, we all need to cherish the women that we know in our lives. We all need to respect them highly. We all need to treat them well. Hold them up, honor them, do not throw cold water on the gifts that God has given them and the things that God is teaching them. Now, I have to be honest with everyone this morning, and, and again, those of you who read this this week, I, I think you're probably struggling with this too. I'm not exactly sure what Paul is talking about in verses 4 through 7 and 13 through 16. Many, so I read commentators, I listened to sermons, and honestly, most pastors just avoid it. They just skip it. They don't say anything about it because they, they don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole because they, as, as am I, are unsure exactly what Paul is, is saying here. Uh, let me just very briefly, there are some commentators I studied this week, in fact most, who, who believe that Paul is referring to something cultural here, that it was a cultural thing. It was how the women often dressed, and this is how they... they um, how they did things. There were certain ways and certain women. So, it's, if it sounds like I'm stumbling over my words, I am. Uh, the women in, many of the women in Corinth, if they had their heads shaved, they were either an adulteress or a prostitute. Okay? And, and uh, some commentators think, look, God has given women this beautiful head of hair. Um, that is their head covering. That is to their glory and to God's glory. Okay, there are commentators who say that uh, they believe uh, that the principle here that Paul is trying to get is more of, of an attitude, an action, a behavior, than it is the actual physical wearing of something on their head. Though in that day, that is what they did. In fact, most Middle Eastern countries, that is a sign of submission that, that, wear, that women wear, is a, a covering on their head. Now, there are abuses to that as well. They also point to Paul um, talking about, again, and he does, he does mention this, that the women's hair is their head covering. And they just, they just stop there and they say, that's what it is. Okay, it's just what we have, on, it's what the women have on their head. It's nothing to do with wearing some other type of veil or cloth. Um, I also read a book by Jeremy, Gar Jeremy Gardner this week, who is the founder of the Head Covering Movement. Uh, he has a ministry that is focused on restoring the symbol that Paul talks about in our churches today in the Western world. It's nothing to go to another church in another country and see all of the women with their head covered. Honestly, when some... When, when women walk into our church here and they have their head covered. It, I mean, it's, I'm not offended by it. I, 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 I just, it's just something that that person is, is doing, okay? Well, Jeremy uh, puts, does put forth some good points and has some good arguments, but yet those with the others, and I'm, I'm trying to work through this myself, and is it just because what I'm used to and I don't want to think about the other? What, this is the struggle that I'm having. And, and honestly, I, I don't, I can't put my finger on it this morning and say this is what God is saying here. This is what we need to do. Because I'm, I'm not sure. 
You know, if, if, if some read this and, and you decided that Paul is talking very literally and that this is a lost symbol in our culture and that it, it, it really is uh, something that you want to do, I, I would honor that. And I do. And, and if you were to decide, the, again, um, I guess the question I have that I've been wrestling with, is this something that Paul is saying, is this a black and white issue, or is this one of those kind of gray areas where Paul says everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial? I, I don't know. And, and I know that <laughs> um, I've heard a pastor say, when there's a fog in the pulpit, there's a mist in the congregation. And I'm afraid this is going to be one of those cases where there, there is a total fog up here and if you have any thoughts or any, if you've read something or you've heard something or you, let's talk about it. I mean, let's, let's wrestle with this together. I, I hate the thought that, I, and this doesn't always happen, but sometimes it does. I'm wrestling, trying to wrestle through something and I feel like it's just me. It's just me and God that nobody else is just feeling the weight of this. And, and you got to know, each week as, and, and this has been tough, 1 Corinthians has been tough, there is this weight uh, to make sure that what I bring you on a Sunday morning is actually truth and that God did actually say it and it's not just some idea that I have or some other person has. Um, and, and again, I, I don't know. But, but, I, but Paul is clear on the idea that there is a created order here. He spells that out very clearly. There is no fog there. And to deny this order is, is dishonorable. In fact, uh, the offense comes when a wife refuses to let her husband lead or, or men. We also, I believe, dishonor God when we refuse to step up and lead. And we just stand by and sort of let things happen. And we don't wrestle with God's word ourselves and we don't um, have conversations about how important this is to our family and, and lead our wives. Paul compared this to the shame a couple would suffer if the wife was caught in adultery or prostitution and would have her head shaved. I mean, it was a very public thing. Everyone saw and knew what was going on when this happened, and it wasn't honorable. So the role of, of man or men, verse 7, is referring to us not putting anything above ourselves except Christ. Because we are made in His image. If we are to be good husbands and fathers and just good men, we must put Christ first. Period. Even above our families and especially above the pleasures of the world. Men, we are called to be responsible. We are called to lead, work for, provide for, and protect our families. And, and men, we must use common sense in this. This does not justify male chauvinism. It does not justify sexism or female conquest. It also, also doesn't mean that women can't be educated or successful. It does not mean that. It also doesn't diminish women's role. Women are also made in the image of God and His glory and must serve Him first. <sighs> P 
Pastor Brad, when he did my wedding, he, he quoted Sylvester Stallone in Rocky. And uh, um, I forget the scene or even the names of the characters, but, but uh, uh, well, it was Rocky's, Rocky's um, manager, his trainer, which was her dad, right? Um, he asked Rocky, he said, that's not right? Anyway, he said, what do you see in her? And he said, and of course, Pastor Brad did his best Sylvester Stallone impression, which I am not going to do, because mine would be worse than his was, which wasn't good. He said, she fills my gaps. You see, Rocky said, we both got gaps, and she fills my gaps. Though one is not meant and or intended to complete the other, uh, men, where we are weak, our, our wives are strong, and vice versa. We can't, we used to, I used to say this in junior high, women, you can't live with them, you can't live without them, right? Well, as sarcastic as that is, it's true, and we meant it in a disparaging way, but it's true in a good way. You see, women complete mankind. When God created man, he said, it's not good for him to be alone. And then what did God do? He created woman, which what? Completed mankind. And where women originally came from men, that happened one time, from then on, guys, we come from women. It's just simple biology. God created an amazing balance, didn't he? And, and our humanity and our selfishness and our striving to be great, when we do those things, it, it just screws up the balance. You know, we need to work in harmony. You see, if, if women respect their husbands and men love their wives biblically, as Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 5, loving them as Christ loved the church, willing to sacrifice our life, to give up our life for them, our relationships would be healthy and eventually our society would be too. But we're, we're getting it all wrong. Together, we need each other. And that's the way we were created. Verse 11 and 12 sum it up. Paul says, In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor man is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. And then, of course, ultimately, Paul says, everything comes from God. Everything. So now let's move on to verse 17. So Paul moves from teaching to correction again, and now he turns to the ordinance of communion, which is interesting. Now he is talking about worship and the order of worship. And once again, it really comes down to our attitude and the attitude of the Corinthians. What is our attitude as we celebrate the ordinance of communion? Or if you're from another tradition, the Holy Eucharist. It is, is it for you like the intro video? Sip, sip, crunch, crunch, and off to brunch we go. Sometimes it can seem that way, doesn't it? Sometimes, it, I remember a long time ago, we, we kind of ran out of time. I went long, imagine that. And... Uh, 
I just, I just said, you know what, we're, this is all set up. Thank you for the hard work the ladies went to to put this together, but we're going to do this next week because I just didn't leave any time and I didn't want it to be rushed. And this morning, it's not going to be rushed. Again, I did not plan chapter 11 for today because it's Communion Sunday. It just so happened to work out that way. So I believe God wants to teach us something here this morning. Is it sip, sip, crunch, crunch, and off to the Sunday brunch for you, or is it, are you able to pause and take time and recognize the importance and the value of the symbol that Jesus gave us that we should partake of on a regular basis? Is there more meaning and impact to you than just bread and juice? Look at verse 17. In the following directives, Paul says, I have no praise for you. Uh Uh-oh. Right? For your meetings do more harm than good. God, may that not be true of us. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Interesting statement, isn't it? Paul's like, there's been this talk about you. I've been hearing rumors, and honestly, I think I believe them. There are divisions among you. He's been talking about that for, for other chapters before as well. He says, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Divisions, people, the people are not unified at all. Thursday, but in this culture, they they would gather their, their, their church community together. It could have been in a home, it could have been in a building as well, and they would have this big grand celebration get together. We sort of make light and make fun of Baptists and their carry-ins, but but that's biblical. That's what they did. They would, they, would, they would share this great grand meal together and it would culminate in the Lord's Supper. But by the time they celebrated the Lord's Supper, Paul is saying, you got people that are hungry, you got people that just ate in front of other people, thought they were more important and just did their own thing. You got people that are drunk, they have no idea what they're partaking of when they're doing this. And it's not good. You know, Joe up the street, Joe non-believer up the streets, pointing down the street at your house, going, well, they're having another party down there. And it's, it's doing more harm than good. Obviously, there was no order to their services. In fact, it seemed that they lost the sight of the reason they were gathering in the first place. It became about themselves instead of about celebrating the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and proclaiming the truth of that to everyone around them. And and this is especially where the more harm than good consequence seems to have come to pass. And then Paul gives us this direction in teaching. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. 
So let's think about this for a couple moments. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. What, what is this unworthy manner? And Paul has been just describing this. Some were getting drunk. They were humility, humiliating others. Some were hungry. There were divisions. If we know someone has something against us or we have some, something against someone else, we should not partake. We should, we should unify that relationship or reconcile that relationship or get it back to even terms before we do. Is there sexual immorality in our life? Are we disrespecting God by how we are treating our husband or our wife or our father or our mother? Do we eat the bread and drink the juice even though we don't know or really believe Jesus is who he said he was? We're just doing it because we're in the room together and we don't, we're embarrassed that it's going to come by and we're just going to let it go by. In our culture today, it's especially easy to just go through the motions and do things because everyone around us is doing it. Paul cautions us against this. We need to cry out to God to examine our hearts and help us draw near to Him. We we need to see the, the sin in our lives and confess it and repent of it. In fact, you know what? I think let's do that right now. Um, Caleb, come on up here. The worship team. Well, I guess that's only a few today. You know, as we, as we start, as they start playing this first song and as we think about it, um, let's, where we are sitting, prayerfully present ourselves and our bodies before the Lord. Take a couple minutes and just just ask God to show us if there be any wicked way in us. You see, because here's... Here's, and I don't know how God works this out in our lives today, but, but this is what Paul says. He says, you're doing this, you're, you're, you're partaking of communion in an unworthy manner. And then he says, that is why, verse 30, many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have died, fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. If we would first take the, the time to to repent and recognize the wrong that's in our life, to judge ourselves and turn and surrender that to Him, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. Again, thinking of the, the, the big meal idea. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions, Paul says. I'm going to explain this better when I, when I get to you. And as, we, as we've seen all along, Paul isn't talking about the normal mistakes and bad decisions that we make and experience on our, on our spiritual journey. Paul here is talking about arrogantly living our lives as we please, pridefully, powerfully lording it over everyone else, and doing it willfully and pretending on a Sunday morning that it's different. That's what Paul is confronting here. Because we all struggle with sin. And we need to remember that there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to put down your Bibles and your phones and your note sheet and your pen. And let's just spend, as the worship team plays, a few moments just... 
calling out to God to show us if there be any wicked way in us and to help us to surrender the pride that we're, that we're resisting with, the attitude maybe that we have. Let's call on the Holy Spirit to illuminate God's Word in our life as we, in a moment, celebrate, remember, and follow what Paul is teaching the Corinthians here. between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the light then through the darkness your love Kindness torn through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, our living hope. Paul goes on to say in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, for the bread that we are about to partake of, thank you. Thank you for the symbol that it is, the meaning that it has with it. Jesus, you gave up heaven and you came here to save us. You lived a perfect life and you surrendered yourself to death on a cross. You didn't have to to die, you, you, you could have gone, gone on living, but because that was the requirement to satisfy the debt that we owe God on our behalf, you did that. Thank you. As we partake this morning, may we remember, may we recognize the significance of your broken body to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if the servos will come forward, they'll pass out the bread. And as you, at the end of each row, the server will 
as he hands it to you, he will say these words that are going to come up on the screen. As the server hands it to the first person, they will say, this represents the body of Christ broken for you. Tom, this represents the body of Christ broken for you. And then Tom would take that and hand it to the next person in the row if there was somebody sitting by him. And he would say to that person, their name if you know it, this represents the body of Christ broken for you. Let's do that as we... And, and once you receive the bread and... If, when, when you're ready, just partake. We're not going to partake all together. And also, if you're offered the bread and you feel like this, I, I just can't partake today, just say thank you and pass it on to the next person and say, this represents the body of Christ broken for you. So if I could interrupt one more time. If there's anybody in the room that's gluten intolerant, you've got gluten free here, just raise your hand and I'll come serve you.
Verse 25, Paul says, In the same way, after supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this morning and this privilege of celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ together as a church family and for having guests with us here this morning who too can see and remember and know the significance of the sacrifice that you made. Lord Jesus, your word says that by your stripes we are healed and in this Celebrating this, we remember that healing that comes in Christ alone. That solid rock. We remember and we celebrate as we drink of the cup this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And just as we did with the bread, I want you, as you pass this, and, and you don't, don't need to hurry, take your time. This represents the blood of Christ, which was shed for you.
We're going to end with this song. Hey, you got more? We're going to end with this song, and I'm not going to have you guys stand up. I just want you to listen to the words of this. Um, if you know it, sing it.